Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. Merry almost Christmas. You are going into the Christmas weekend and I am going to give you a Christmas themed episode. Now, as I am recording this, as I told you guys, this is the week before. I am recording it a little bit over a week before this is actually coming out which means that there's a lot of new stuff that I wish that I could cover, but I am dedicated to giving you a Christmas episode, an episode that will end in an encouraging and an uplifting way as we remind ourselves what everything is about that we are celebrating this weekend. But I do want to acknowledge that there are a lot of things that are tempting us into despair. There are a lot of things that make us sad, that discourage us, that depress us. There are a lot of new stories that we could dive into, that we could be angry about. And I do just want to acknowledge those up front because I know a lot of you are wrestling with worry and anxiety when you turn on the news, when you're scrolling through Twitter, even just in your own lives. There are a lot of personal things that are that are weighing you down. There's a lot to be upset about. There's a lot to be concerned about. So I want to first list some of those things just so I can acknowledge and kind of put some of these things out in the open because these are things for me as I've read the news about these stories over the past few weeks that have just made me so sad and mad. They've really just burdened me. They've occupied my mind and have tempted me to despair. One of the things is that we are seeing a new wave of authoritarianism as we have not seen in the West perhaps ever. Yes, we've seen it globally, but in the West over the past few hundred years, I'm not sure that we have seen these attempts towards totalitarian rule uh, in Western history, all done in the name of health and safety. And as I said last week in the conversation with Steve Dace, authoritarian measures are always done in the name of health and safety. They are always done for your protection. It's the necessary pretense to get fools on board with the incremental steps that lead to totalitarianism. That's just how it always works. That's the nature of it. But it's not just tyranny that we have to fear right now. There is also moral and cultural decay happening in the West and specifically in the United States. We're seeing the deterioration of the family. Less than 18% of American households are married parents with children. The nuclear natural family is the building block to any healthy society. The uh, the nuclear natural family is the incubator of liberty, the giver of right values, of protection and provision for children who grow up into adults and end up being the citizens that vote and shape culture and society. That's a big deal. Uh, There is a huge decrease in church attendance, 30 to 50% in the past two years alone. There is an abandonment of rationality, the suspension of truth when it comes to science or data. Of course, that's true of moral truth, of spiritual truth as well. There is chaos in the streets as violent crime increases in places where progressive district attorneys refuse to prosecute and progressive judges set absurdly low bail for violent criminals, all done in the name of social criminal justice. The border remains largely open. We haven't talked about that in a while because so many other things have been going on, but that's still a crisis. A mother and her young daughter were recently killed by a human smuggler smuggling illegal immigrants in a car crash. He hit them with his car as they were driving. 
A police officer in Dallas a couple weeks ago responded to a disturbance between a man and a woman in a grocery store parking lot in Mesquite. The woman was an illegal immigrant. The man that was disputing with her in some way shot and killed the police officer who tried to intervene. Would that have happened if we had serious enforcement of our immigration law? I don't know. You might have seen his wonderful seeming daughter who gave um, who who delivered a, a speech at a church service. It might have been at his memorial in the Dallas area where she said that she wants to extend forgiveness to the man who murdered her father, that she wants this man to know Christ. And I am so thankful for the grace of God in her life and the testimony that she gave through the power of the Holy Spirit that hopefully is going to reach fertile soil in people's hearts and plant a seed that God will then give growth to and people will become Christians through her testimony and through her hope and through her faith after her dad was murdered. But I still have to wonder about the policies that led to the murder that has now left her fatherless. Social justice policies kill. As I say often on social media, social justice kills. It always leads to destruction, never compassion. It gives a pretense of compassion. It sounds good. It never looks the other side of the calculation. The other side of the equation is always death and destruction. And we're going to continue to see the damage wrought by that reality at the cost of human life. Inflation is at the highest point. It's been in 40 years. So your everyday life is more expensive. Christmas is more expensive. That's a big deal for a lot of families. Maybe it's not a big deal for you. It's certainly not a big deal for a lot of the people in charge. They're insulated by the money and the power that they have. So they don't feel the effects of inflation. But this matters for the working class. This matters for the people who are struggling financially, especially those who were hurt by the illogical, inhumane COVID policies that shut down businesses over the past two years especially for the people who have lost their jobs, military families in particular, because they refused a medical procedure that is not turning out to be the cure-all we promised. All of this stuff is a big deal. It impacts people. What do we say? Politics matter because policy matters because people matter. Because politics affects policy, policy affects people. All of this stuff is impacting people. People are struggling in a collective way, in an individual way right now. There's pain people are feeling that the media don't care about. Uh, people who lost their homes and family members in the tornadoes a couple weeks ago, that one, I'm not saying that the media don't care about that at all, but there are some members of the media who tried to immediately say that this has to do uh, with climate change. There's no evidence of that, first of all, but there are people who lost family members. There was there were parents who, who lost their eight-month-old baby because of injuries, because of the destruction wrought by those tornadoes in Kentucky and in the Mid-South. So people are struggling and suffering with that right now, unimaginable pain for most of us. There are people who lost their families um, to COVID, some of some because of poor hospital treatment, many despite good treatment. People who have lost children from suicide because of the forced isolation and the lack of normalcy and steadiness that they have needlessly endured over the past uh, couple years since the beginning of 2020. I think of the people that apparently the media definitely don't want to talk about. And I think about how the media's silence about the pain that some of these people are enduring makes us worse as a nation. It adds to the burdens we carry as a nation. I think of the families who lost loved ones in the Waukesha terrorist attack at the end of November that no one wants to talk about anymore because the races don't fit the narrative. Uh, We're talking about a person that, according to his social media, hated white people. 
We're not allowed to talk about that. Or about the man in Florida who stabbed a white 14-year-old boy riding his bike recently. And the man, the suspect, was yelling expletives about white people when he was arrested. Can't talk about that. Or the dozens of people murdered by the riots that were fanned into flame in 2020 by media lies. We can't talk about these things. These don't fit the mainstream narrative. Most people are too scared to buck that narrative because they're afraid of seeming like they lack empathy, as if that's a fruit of the spirit. The lack of honest conversation and and, and honest reporting about these things and an overemphasis on race when the races or politics are reversed drives us apart. It divides us. It causes racial animus, perpetuates false narratives. It makes people resentful, angry, unable, or unwilling to have productive discussion about the things that ail us because too many people don't want to talk about the truth. Too many people are partial to a particular narrative. And so they won't talk about the loss of life when it doesn't fit their preconceived notions of how they think the world works. There are a lot of political and social problems we are facing. And I don't know if things are going to get better in this lifetime. I was just talking to my husband last night about how so many terrible, terrible eras in history lasted for so long. And I think we are such a microwave people in the sense that we are used to instant gratification. We are used to very quick change, even quick political change. But the reality is things change slowly. And when I think about things like the Holocaust, when I think about slavery, when I think about um, uh, the horrors of 20th century communism and socialism and tyranny and how long those eras lasted. It wasn't within one generation. It was within multiple generations that, for example, slavery was abolished. And of course, even longer after that, when black Americans were able to vote and when they uh, had equal rights secured. The same is true of many other people groups, of many other times in history. It took a very long time for things to change. And so a lot of us were talking about, okay, well, we have more freedom when it comes to the midterms. Will people, will governments relinquish their power um, that they have taken in the name of public health in the next election? Will things go back to normal? Will the, will the nuclear family become more intact? Will we get a more honest media Will we stop having false narratives that seek to drive us apart uh, among socioeconomic classes or races or genders? I don't know that that's going to happen in the next few years. I don't think we have a guarantee of that. I don't know if positive change is coming for the West at all, if tyrants will ever relinquish their power, if the birth rate will start to increase, if families will start going back to church, if Christians will wake up and realize that there's no neutral ground and start speaking up for what is good and right and true of parents who don't already We'll start to take seriously the protection of our children's hearts and minds as their minds turn to mush and their hearts turn to stone by the kind of ideas and ideologies being fed to them on social media and in government schools. I don't know. I don't know if these things are going to change. So there's a lot of reason from our perspective to be sad and discouraged and dejected when we look at what's going on in the world, when we look out our window, maybe even some of the things in our own homes Uh, are making us sad, all of the personal reasons that you might have to have sorrow. Like there are a million different trials you may be enduring. I mean, those of you who are my 
in my DMs telling me all of the hard things that you are going through or people in your church or people in your life are going, going through right now. You're enduring a lot. And if that's the case, like if you or your child or your spouse has cancer, if you can't make ends meet, if you've lost someone that you love, or if your child has left the faith and wants nothing to do with you and the values with which you raised them, if you're going through a difficult breakup, that might seem small to someone, but it doesn't seem small for the person who is going through it. That's almost their whole world that might seem like it's crashing down. So if you have these kinds of personal anxieties that are weighing you down, then it's likely you care very little about the national problems that we face. That's understandable, at least right now. That's normal. That's okay. The pain you're feeling is too much. You have a capacity. You're, it, the, the pain is too present to try to carry the weight of things outside your walls, the, the weight of things in our country or the weight of the world. There are a lot of reasons that you might have personally or politically to not have joy right now, especially from our perspective, this audience, which is conservative Christian. We see a lot of things that are going on that are anti uh, what we want them to be in big ways and small. There are a lot of reasons to be angry and confused. And yet, in the midst of everything we suffer, we are called to have joy. Even if all good things were taken away from us, even if evil exclusively dominated our world, Christians are still called to be glad in the Lord. We are still called to an abiding happiness, not a superficial, uh, shallow happiness necessarily, but to a deep subsisting joy that is found in the security that we have in Christ and the unwavering trust we have in his sovereignty. We'll talk about that more in just one second. I got to tell you about our first and last, our only sponsor for the day, and that is Good Ranchers. All right, so it might not, you might not have enough time to get the gift of Good Ranchers before Christmas, but now is the time to start thinking about your New Year's resolutions. If you've got a resolution to eat healthier or to cook more meals at home and you want to make that easier, then you need to give your family or yourself the gift of Good Ranchers. So Good Ranchers, it's better than organic chicken and uh, grass-fed craft beef that shows up at your front door on dry ice, individually sealed, um, or individually wrapped, vacuum sealed. And when you get it, you put it all in your freezer. And then when you are ready to cook it, you just thought and it's good to go. It makes your life easier because you don't have to go to the grocery store, wonder what cuts of beef are the right ones. They've got it all taken care of for you. So you've got T-bone steaks, you've got fillets, you've got ground beef, you've got high quality ethically raised, sustainably sourced meat shipped to your front door. You can get just a one-time box, see if you like it. You can also get it shipped to your front door every month. Makes your life so much easier. Plus, you can use my link, go to ranchers.com slash Allie, and you get $20 off and free express shipping. So that's a great deal. Give a gift to yourself, to your family, to someone that you love that they will remember for years to come. Get your Good Ranchers box or gift card today. It's time for open hearts and full stomachs. So give Good Ranchers with my code, Allie, for $20 off and free shipping. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie or use code Allie, goodranchers.com slash Allie, goodranchers.com slash Allie. So Christians are called to joy in the midst of this. James 1, 2 through 4 says, count it all joy 
my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Isn't that an amazing description of a Christian in the midst of the undulation of the chaos of this world, the trials that we are facing both individually and collectively, that we are not only to be joyful in the midst of these trials, but we're also to be steadfast. Gosh, that's what this world needs is joyful, steadfast, wise, steady people who know who they are, where they come from, and where they're going. There are various kinds of trials Christians face today. Those of us in the West are not experiencing the same trials or even the same severity of trials as Christians throughout the world who suffer imprisonment and torture and martyrdom for their faith. But that doesn't mean that suffering here doesn't matter. It's a spectrum, right? 1 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 kind of tells us that. It says, so we do not lose, lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There are so many different parts and clauses and pieces to that verse that we could break down. The central message is big or small, profound or shallow, all affliction we now endure as believers, all burdens we now carry are considered light. Yes, even tragic death, even loss. Yes, even tyranny, even corruption, even terrible diagnoses. All of this is considered light. And not just that, but it is preparing something good for believers. It's preparing for us glory. This passage says joy, peace, eternal contentment, and freedom from the shackles of sin and sickness and sorrow. And we remember that hope, that future reality, by focusing on that which we cannot see, rather than only focusing on and obsessing over only that which we can see, all of the things that we listed in the beginning, the terrible things that we see that have a real effect on people that that do matter. We can't obsess over those things because where our hope lies, where our life is, where our citizenship is, is in a place that we can't see. We believe in a God that we cannot see, who lives in a heaven that we cannot see, preparing for us a home that we cannot see, filled with goodness that we cannot fathom. We believe in these things with the faith God gave us through grace, as Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us. And of course, because we can't see these things, we can't draw them. We can't even adequately describe them. We can't prove them with the scientific method. We're going to look crazy to a world who believes the greatest and and supreme being in the world is themselves. How can you be happy when everything is falling apart? How can you not be torn apart with anxiety over the state of the world? How can you even consider having kids in a time like this? These are the things that people ask Christians. How are you still eating, drinking, and being merry when so many bad things are happening? How are you still laughing at funny jokes? How are you still finding enjoyment in your day-to-day life? How can you still go to church when this, when this new variant is out there? How can you still insist upon getting together with friends and family when the government tells us doing so is dangerous and when some of the people that you know might not be vaccinated? How are you still thinking about the needs of other people when you have so little, when you've lost so much? How are you so okay? How do you seem to have peace when your world and the world at large is in chaos? How do you seem so content when everyone around you has more than you? 
How do you avoid being envious and covetousness of what other people have? How have you already moved on from that particular situation in which you were betrayed, belittled, or treated unfairly? How do you seem to still have confidence after being dumped or dismissed or abandoned? Why does it seem, even in the tears and sadness, you are so steady? That's what the world should be asking Christians, because those are the characteristics that we should see. And the answer is because ultimately of Romans 8, 18, really all of chapter 8, especially uh, especially verses 28 on, but also in particular because of Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. They're not worth comparing. That's like that first Corinthians passage that we read. The sufferings that we are dealing with right now can't even compare to the glory. Uh, that we will one day get to enjoy because of God's grace in heaven, not because of anything we've done, but because of the grace that he has given us in Christ. Because glory is to come. Because one day Jesus Christ, who is already reigning in heaven, will one day do away with injustice, oppression, death, evil, corruption, dishonesty, sin, sorrow, sickness, division, anger, and hate forever and ever. Psalm 37 promises us that. There will be no political parties. There won't be false narratives. There won't be resentment between socioeconomic classes, races, or genders. There will only be happiness and peace in the worship of the King of Kings. That is our hope. That is our future. That is our future and imminent reality. This life is here today, gone tomorrow. And our responsibility as believers in Christ remains the same in this tiny blip of a moment on earth that we are all living through. And that is to obey him. Uh, That is how we love him. Jesus tells us to keep his commandments. And his commandments are summed up in love God and love your neighbor. So that's kind of circular. That, That love is defined by keeping his commandments. And his commandments are defined by love. And his love is defined by his commandments. So that means that love is not defined by shallow or newfangled definitions of superficial empathy, which too often is offered as a replacement for rationality and seeking and speaking truth or unconditional acceptance or tolerance of sin. Rather, we read that love is agreeing with God in everything he says is good. Everything he says is right and true and living that out for his glory and the good of those around us. That is our job as believers. That is it. There are a lot of different manifestations of that, and we don't often know exactly what that looks like in our moment-to-moment lives. I love what Elizabeth Elliott says. If you, follow, if you follow me on Instagram, I say this a lot. The only thing you have to do today is the will of God. How freeing is that? How liberating is that? And if you're wondering, well, I don't, I don't know what that is. If we don't know what that is, we do the next right thing. We do the next right thing in faith and with excellence. That might be making dinner. That might be washing dishes. That might be changing diapers. It may be a term paper. It may be an email to a client. It may be something seemingly big, like starting that organization or deciding to homeschool your kids. It could be major decisions. It could be minor steps that you take in the right direction toward the glory of God. Do the next right thing in faith with excellence and enjoy. Pray for wisdom. Pray for discernment. Pray for direction. And when it seems like there is nothing to do, you rejoice. That's one thing that we know that we should do. Philippians 4 tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. 
We are told to be thankful over and over again in scripture. And we are told to be thankful. Jesus tells us not to be worried about anything. In, for example, Matthew 10, knowing everything that Christians would endure from Nero to now. All of the terrible things that Christians would endure throughout history. Jesus till, still tells us, do not worry. Scripture till, still tells us to be thankful, to be grateful, to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice in trials. And if you're wondering, well, God didn't know what we would be going through now or what I would personally be going through now. Of course he did. Of course he did. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrews 13, 8 tells us. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's not constrained by time. He knew everything that you would go through, that you will go through, that Christians throughout history have and are and will go through. He knows all of those things. And he still tells us, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not fear. Have courage. Have faith. Be steadfast. Be joyful. Be grateful. That is how the Christian distinguishes themselves, one of the ways, including love, how we distinguish ourselves from a frightened and paralyzed, fearful world. Um, people will try to say that Christmas is about a lot of things that it's not. They will try to say that it's about teen pregnancy or refugees, immigration, They will try to say Jesus was a Palestinian revolutionary fighting against empire and for communism and trans rights. (laughs) They'll say a bunch of ridiculous things uh, that are simply not true. And I did a video um, uh, dispelling a lot of these progressive myths about who Jesus was and what he came to do last year. I won't get into all of it right now. I'll link that video in the description of this episode just as a reminder The reality is, is that Jesus, as John 1 tells us, is God made flesh. He is fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He is the redemption that was chosen, planned, preordained since before time began. He is preeminent over all creation, as Colossians 1 tells us. He is not a political revolutionary. He did not wage a cultural revolution. He did not wage um, a war against the Roman Empire. He was not a political activist. He didn't come to overturn earthly systems. That doesn't mean that Christians shouldn't care about politics, obviously, as I say so often, or shouldn't care about culture or so-called culture wars. But the reality is, is that Jesus was not a political activist. He wasn't some communist. Palestine didn't even exist at that time, so he wasn't Palestinian. Uh, he was not the political mascot that people try to turn him into. He is God. There's a big difference in that. Because when we try to turn Jesus into a political mascot, we make ourselves God and him some kind of idol that doesn't exist. But Colossians 1 tells us who Jesus is. 
He is the image of the invisible God, starting in verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the church, the body. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. There's those words again, stable and steadfast, characteristics of Christians in a crazy, chaotic world, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then he actually goes into rejoicing in the midst of sufferings. But I wanted to read that passage to remind you that as you hear so many myths and and so much propaganda about Christianity and Christmas, this holiday season, that Jesus was not not only was he not a political activist, he is not a political uh, mascot for either the left and the right, but also Jesus was not a victim. He was not a victim of the state. He was not a victim of the Roman empire. He was not a victim. He willingly went to the cross for your sake to reconcile you and me sinners to a holy God so that we could be reconciled with him here on earth, having joy and freedom, even in the midst of our difficult circumstances and would have freedom and joy and eternal life forevermore in his presence. That's the gospel. Let me read you part of John 1. In the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was with God and the word was God. Let me pause here. I'm kind of going on some tangents, but uh, let me just say, I've got a lot of friends, a lot of faithful followers, and a lot of listeners who are part of what is called the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints. One distinction between Christianity and what is called the Church of Latter-day Saints is the belief that Jesus not was just a God or a son of God, but that Jesus is God. You'll hear a lot from people who are in the Mormon church that there is no difference between Orthodox Christianity, traditional Christianity, and Mormonism, except that Mormons believe that Jesus was a God or a son of God and not God himself. And John 1 dispels that. That is the gospel. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, is part of the triune God, than an equal person um, in the Trinity, then that is not Christianity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. So that's the passage that I want to end with. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That is Jesus. That is our hope that in the midst of darkness, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of decay and and deterioration and destruction in so many ways that we see around us, whether it comes to morality, whether it comes to uh, the physical world that seems to be decaying, of course, as we've seen in the destruction um, from tornadoes over the past couple of weeks, whatever it is that leads to death and destruction and sin and sadness, none of that darkness can over 
come the church because Christ is the head of the church and he promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And therefore, as Romans 8 tells us, the darkness cannot overcome you because through Christ, you are more than a conqueror. And because uh, Jesus came into the world, because he has word made flesh, because he has God made flesh, and because he has become our redemption and our reconciliation, we have hope. We have every reason to celebrate Christmas, even in the midst of very hard things that we may be going through as a nation and personally. That's the gospel. That's the hope that we have this holiday season. That's what we get to rejoice in. And I am so thankful that we have the freedom still to share in that gospel. I'm so thankful for the church. I would encourage you this Christmas to go to a local church. I will put a link to a church finder in the description of this episode. If you have not been to church in a long time, if you've never been to church in your life and you feel like, you know what, maybe this is the Christmas Eve to attend a Christmas Eve service, I would really encourage you to do that. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? And for my fellow Christians, Uh, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that we get to share in the body of Christ. I'm thankful for this gospel that unites us, even in our political differences, even in whatever disagreements we may have. What unites us as a body is this gospel that has been given to us and empowers us through the Holy Spirit. And let us be bold, let us be brave, and let us go forth in joy and in faith for the glory of God. All right, maybe not your traditional Christmas message, but I hope it does encourage you. And I hope that you have a wonderful time of fellowship and just joy and rest and rejuvenation with your family this weekend as uh, you celebrate this wonderful holiday. Um, Eat a lot of good Christmas cookies and gingerbread houses and listen to a ton of good music and just have a good time and thank the Lord for everything that he Um, has given you and done for you. That's what I'll be doing this weekend. All right, I'll see you guys back here next Tuesday with an awesome conversation with a wonderful guest. See you guys then.